good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, my name is Penny. If you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you are with us this morning as we gather for worship and, and sing to our Lord um, as we come and uh, we sit under his word. So if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. We are glad that you're with us. This morning we are going to be looking at a passage out of John chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17 of John 13. The passage is also in your order of service. Uh, the, the last number of weeks, we've been looking at these various episodes in the life of Peter. And if you recall, we're using Peter as basically a gateway into uh, what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. So uh, our focus isn't so much on Peter, but it's on Jesus right, that Jesus is informing us as he interacts with Peter and the other disciples of what he, what he is, how he is to function in our lives, and what we are to be in response to that, how we are to follow him and to live as his disciples. And so this morning, as we look at the way that Peter and Jesus interact with each other, a common theme comes out. It, it comes out of the text, the, the theme of service. Now, if you're a Christian, if you've been around the church, if you're not a Christian, but you have friends who are, you've probably heard that phrase used by Christians, right? That we are people who serve, that that's what we're supposed to do, that we come to a worship service, right? It's part of our common vernacular. This is what we say. We serve God. We serve one another. We serve the body. But I wonder if we use that word so frequently and so quickly that we haven't really thought about all the implications of what that word means, right? Like what that implies for our lives, because what we're going to see in this passage is that to be a servant, to serve, is deeply ingrained in what it means to be a Christian, that it is, it is foundational to our Christian identity and to our formation as followers of Christ, that we are to be people who serve. And that's what this passage is getting at. So let's go ahead and read John 13. We'll begin in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, that is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our God and our Father, we do thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you that we have this this, uh, beautiful picture of Christ serving his people. And I pray that as we look at this passage and as we delve into it, as we think about it, as we seek to apply it to our lives, that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to please you so that all that we do today and tomorrow and all of our days would give you honor and glory. So help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Henry Nouwen was uh, a Catholic priest who uh, was, was a scholar and academic. Uh, Henry Nouwen wrote many books. Some of you may be familiar with some of them, Return of the Prodigal or In the Name of Jesus. These were books that he wrote that, that were for uh, popular level reading and were, were excellent. Henry Nouwen was a, a scholar and academic who for two decades uh, taught in the halls of places like Harvard and Yale and Notre Dame. He had surrounded himself with with theological minds and and engaged in deep theological conversations. He was a scholar. He had great influence, great prestige, great learning. Well, after two decades of living in, in what would have been the pristineness of the scholarly study, he stepped away from that study and he moved into large communities. So the large communities were uh, communities, they still are in existence now, they're communities for the severely mentally handicapped, that they would come and that they would live in these communities and that they would be cared for and they would be loved and they would be treated with dignity. And after two decades of teaching and of scholarly research, Nowen pulled away from that and he moved to one of these communities in Toronto, Ontario called Daybreak. This was a big deal at the time. Many people weren't really sure what he was doing or why he was doing it, why this great scholar would remove himself from from these scholarly places. And so Philip Yancey, an evangelical writer, he decided to find out why. So he goes to Toronto and he seeks to interview Nowen to understand what it was that caused him to leave the, the halls of Notre Dame and Harvard and Yale and go to this place. And this is what Yancey found. He said, I once visited Nowen, sharing lunch with him in his small room. It had a single bed, one bookshelf, and a few pieces of Shaker-style furniture. The walls were unadorned except for a print of a Van Gogh painting and a few religious symbols. A daybreak staff person served us a bowl of Caesar salad and a loaf of bread. No fax machine, no computer, no calendar posted on the wall. After lunch, Yancey and Nowen went and visited with a man at daybreak whose name was Adam. He was celebrating his 26th birthday. Yancey explains this. He says, Adam was unable to talk, to walk, or to dress himself. Adam was profoundly disabled. He gave no sign of comprehension. He drooled and grunted loudly a few times. Later, Nowen told me it took him nearly two hours to prepare Adam each day bathing and shaving him, brushing his teeth, combing his hair, guiding his hand as he tried to eat breakfast. Yancey then confesses, I must admit, 
I had a fleeting doubt as to whether this was the best use of the priest's time. Could not someone else take over the manual chores? And that's the question not only Yancey would have been asking in that moment, but I'm sure many people were. And imagine that even as I described who Nowen was, even if you've never heard of him, to hear of his academic accomplishments, his intelligence, and then to hear that he gave it all up, right? That he left rooms that were lined with books to one room with a tiny little bookshelf. To leave this place where he was engaging in deep theological and philosophical reflection and go to a place where, where some of the people only grunted and needed help eating. I'm sure many of us would have wondered that too. Is this really the best use of this man's time? Why would he do this? Why would Nowen give up all that he had to go and to serve in this sort of a place? Because what he had done is he had taken off the academic robes and he had replaced them with the caregiver's code of a servant. And friends, that's exactly what Christ has done, isn't it? I mean, that's exactly what Jesus has done in our passage. In verse 4, we're told that Jesus rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Jesus rises from the table and he literally puts on the garb of a servant, of a slave. This attire in this day would have been looked down upon by both Jew and Greek. He wraps a towel around his waist and he begins to serve his disciples. And why? Why would Jesus don the robe of a servant? Why would he take up his towel? Well, he would do it to cleanse his people. He does it to wash them, to make them clean. You see, Christ takes on the posture of the servant so that he can clean his people. That's what we see happening in this passage. Picture the scene, the dinner table. So in this culture, the, the table would have probably been a U-shape, okay? So there's a hole in the middle. All the guests would have been around the outside, probably laying on their left side, reclining, laying on the floor on their left side, freeing their right hand to be able to reach and grab the food, their heads nearest to the table and their feet farthest away from the food. There would have been a hole in the center so the servant can come in and put down the food and refill the cups to refill their drinks, and this is where Jesus is, and he gets up. And instead of getting up to just move along, you know, he's not just going to the next person so he can be beside that guy that he hasn't talked to in a little bit, right? He gets up, and instead of going towards the food or towards people's faces, he goes to their feet. He goes to their feet. We're told in verse 5, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now this washing of the feet, this, this would have been customary in this day to have occurred when you arrived at someone's home. That it would have been normal to have your feet washed or right before dinner for, for your feet to be washed. This would have been a normal occurrence to have occurred except for the fact that only the lowest of servants... And the lowest of slaves would have performed this duty. Not a teacher. Certainly not the one who had the most influence or power in the room. Certainly not the guest of honor. It was the lowest of servants that would do this. And so just think about how uncomfortable this would have been for Jesus' disciples. Think about how uncomfortable it would be for you. Imagine 
You're having a little dinner party. You've been invited over to a friend's home, right? There's six or seven of you, and, and you're having good food and good drink, and you sit down at the table, right? And the, the guest, the, the host stands up, and before uh, he can bring the food out, instead of bringing the main platter, the entree, he instead shows up with a bowl of water. And he gets down at his knees right in front of you, and he begins untying your shoes, and he takes them off and peels off your socks that you've been wearing all day. And he starts washing your feet. If your friend or your peer did this, that, that would be strange, right? Right? Yes, it would be weird, right? It would be very, very strange because this is very intimate, isn't it? To touch someone's feet like this? Like, like men, like, would you want like, someone doing this to your wife, right? Like, this would be a little awkward, it would be a little strange. And it wouldn't just be strange because it's very intimate, but it would be very strange because this is our friend, this is our peer. They're not supposed to be doing this for us. And so we'd say things like, don't, don't do this, right? Get, get up, get up. You're making me feel uncomfortable. You're making me, this isn't very hospitable, right? Please let me put my socks back on. If it would be that uncomfortable for us, think about how much more uncomfortable it would be for the disciples, one commentator noted that what makes this account so extraordinary is that there is no parallel in ancient literature for a person of superior status to voluntarily wash the feet of someone of inferior status. There is no account anywhere else in the ancient world of this occurring. That a master would wash the feet of his disciple. But what makes this even more significant is that Jesus isn't simply a teacher. He's not just a master, but he is God. Right? That's what we heard in verse 3. We know Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now, we've heard that phrase before if you were here last week. It was in our passage, going back to God means that he was once with God. And so it's a reference to Jesus' eternality. That he has always been. And so Jesus returning to the place that he once was is pointing to his divinity. And so think about this now. The second person of the Trinity. The eternal son of God. The God-man is getting down and washing his disciples' feet. He should have been the one who had every right to demand his disciples to wash his feet. And instead he reverses it. He gets down and bathes them. This would have been extremely bizarre. And in fact, it was. That's why Peter in verse 6 says, you wash my feet? And in verse 8, he says, you shall never wash my feet. It doesn't fit within Peter's categories of what the master is supposed to do. Peter's objection, though well-intentioned, is clearly misguided. Because Jesus won't have the towel removed from his hands. He won't have it taken away from him. He doesn't take off the servant's clothes. He keeps them on. And he does so because he knows what he must do. He has to cleanse his people. Now, they don't fully get it, right? Jesus said that. He said, you don't really get what I'm doing right now, but don't worry, you one day will. They don't fully understand that Jesus is going to wash them, not just wash their feet, but that this washing of their feet is an object lesson for the greater cleansing that will one day come. 
Because Jesus isn't just wiping the dirt and the grime off his, their feet, but he is going to serve them by going to the cross. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 2 says that Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Son of God humbled himself before his people. He washed their feet. He cleansed them of the dirt and the grime and the filth. And this is symbolic of the greater cleansing that he will perform. That's why in verse 8 he says, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What he's saying is that if you want to belong to Christ, if you want the, the filth of your sins washed away, it can only happen through the cleansing work of his death. It can only happen through his cross. And so how does Peter respond? Peter thinks he's getting it, doesn't he? He thinks he's kind of understanding it, right? He, he hears, well, if, if I want some of Jesus, he's, I got to let him wash my feet, so I'm going to just ratchet it up a little bit, right? Some, somebody laughed when I read it, and rightfully so. You should have laughed at Peter's response because what does he say? Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, right? I love his exuberance. If I get a little bit of Jesus from him washing my feet, I wonder how much I get if he washes my whole body. But he still really doesn't get it, does he? So Jesus has to clarify again for him. And he does so with this interesting statement in verse 10. The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Okay, that is kind of strange, isn't it? So, so are you clean or are you not? Well, which is it? Well, it's yes, right? That's what Jesus is getting at. So think about it like this. So the, uh, the other night, I, I was, I was, uh, this image came home to my home the other night. So uh, it's the end of the night. We've eaten our dinner. The kids are getting ready for bed. Um, we're getting ready to do our family devotions, our Bible study, and that sort of thing. And so, so before we do all that, they have to go up and they shower, right? Get ready for the day. Wipe off the, the filth from the day and get ready for tomorrow. So they come down, and they're not in their pajamas yet, but, but the sun's still out, right? Because it's daylight savings or whichever one we're in right now, right? The sun's later. It's staying up. And, and it's dry, which hasn't happened in like six years, right? So, um, so it's dry, and the sun is out, and, you know, they've got all kinds of energy. And so what do they say? They say, can we go outside and jump on the trampoline? I know we've bathed, I know we're clean, but can we go? And it's like, of course, get out of the house, right? Um, so go and jump. And so they did. And they jump around on the trampoline, and after a little while, they come back in. But it wasn't hot enough, and they hadn't jumped long enough to really work up a sweat. So when they came in, we didn't go, man, you guys are disgusting. Get in the shower, right? They're still clean. They're still clean. But their feet. Their feet, you see, they, even though it was like 48 degrees, they took off their shoes and their socks, and they jumped on the trampoline. And so the rest of their body was clean, but their feet were disgusting, right? Their feet needed to be cleaned again. They were clean, and yet they still needed to be clean. And the same is true of us. You see, that's what Jesus is saying. We have been cleansed by his work on the cross, and yet, because we sin. We still get our feet dirty. 
We still get our hands dirty, right? I mean, we've been clean, made clean, and we are being made clean. This is one of the reasons why we confess our sin every single week. It's not because we don't believe that Jesus' grace is not enough. It's not because we think that if we don't confess, then maybe his grace really doesn't cover us. Maybe we're really not. No, it's because we continue to sin, right? We continue to get our feet dirty. We continue to walk through the muck. And so we need to confess. We need to say to Jesus, I know I am clean, but, but I need to be cleaned again. To put in our theological language, we have been sanctified and we are being sanctified. You know, like oftentimes in the New Testament, that word sanctified is in the past tense. You are sanctified. Christ has sanctified you. It has happened. And he is continuing to sanctify us. We are holy and he is making us holy. This is what he does for us. I mean, what? What wonderful grace and love that the second person of the Trinity would get down on his knees and wash our feet to point us to the greater cleansing that he will give. That he would cleanse us by the giving of his blood. That he would make us clean and he is committed so much to us that when we trample through the mud, he cleans us again. What wonder, what grace. This is why we come to him looking for us to be made clean. Because he serves us by cleansing us. But his service of us is also the model for our conduct. You see, he doesn't just stop there. He calls us now to imitate his service. That's what we see. Jesus cleans their feet. He puts back on his garment. He returns to his place at the table, and we read in verses 12 through 17. He says, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus is making an argument from greater to lesser. If the master, if the Lord is willing to don the servant's clothes and take up his towel, so should you. Now, this doesn't mean literally we have to wash feet. Okay, there are denominations, Christian denominations, that practice foot washing. And even some that have argued that this is a formal ordinance of the church or a sacrament. And and we don't believe that. And if you'd like to discuss why we don't think this is a sacrament, uh, I'd be happy to talk to you after the service or, or some other time. But no, what Jesus is saying is metaphorically we are to wash one another's feet. And so what this means is that none of us can say this task that is before me, that this need that is presented itself, that this responsibility that has been given to me, that that this is beneath me. That's what he's telling us. And yet it's easy to think that, isn't it? This need is beneath me. Like getting down on the floor and playing with the kids in the nursery? It's really not my... Someone else can do that. Making the coffee, you know, picking up after other people. Well, that's, you know, if I just do it, then no one else will do it. You know, I'm just encouraging them to keep doing it, right? Like, Like we can start to think, like, this isn't my responsibility. It's beneath me. It's someone else will do it. I don't need to worry about it. Or think about it this way. 
Think about this way. In a little while, we're going to be moving into our building. And service teams are going to go away. Set up teams. Amen? Amen. Man. It's like every morning, right, I come in. Every Sunday, it's like people are like, is this the last one, Penny? Is this the last one? (laughs) And when we move in, it'd be easy for us to take a collective sigh, right? To take a collective breath and think, you know what? I've paid my dues. I've been setting up for two years or five or 10 or 12, right? From the very first Sunday, I've been setting up. And it'd be easy to sit there and go, you know what? It's time to let someone else serve. Or maybe you're brand new. Maybe you're pretty recent to our church. And and so you're sitting there thinking, you know, I'll just kind of take my time kind of see how, you know, get the lay of the land, figure out how things operate. And, you know, I'm new here. I've, I've got a new house. I've got a new job. I've got kids. My life is just really hectic. So, so I'll just let someone else serve for a little while. And while we're not saying it's beneath me, what we're subtly communicating is I've earned the right not to serve. I've put in my dues. But if anyone could have ever said that, It would have been Jesus. And yet, what did he say? If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In the assurance of pardon, did you hear it in Mark chapter 10? It said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If anyone could have said, I've earned the right to be served, it would be Christ. And yet he said, I'm going to use my right, I'm going to use my power, my authority, my privilege, all that I have, I am going to use for the service of others. And so that's why he says to us, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And then he says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I got to tell you, um, I like the first part of this verse. And I kind of wish it just stopped with, if you know these things, you're blessed. Or, if you know these things, you are blessed if you know them. <laughs> right? Like, that, that's kind of how I wish this verse would, would be. Right, because, because we like knowledge, we like to fill our heads with information, with data, right? We're, we're good reform people, if you don't know what that means. It means that uh, we're big-headed Christians. <laughs> and I don't say that pejoratively, but we like knowledge, and we like theology, and we like information. We fill our heads with it for good reason. Those are good things. Don't, I'm not speaking pejoratively. That is a good thing. We want to be theologically engaged and understanding and... Knowledge is good, but knowledge is never intended as an end to itself. So when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of two quotes by two of the greatest theological minds the church has ever had. The first is by Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo. Brilliant, brilliant man. He once said this. He said, if anyone who thinks he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them but cannot by his understanding build up his double love of God and neighbor, he has not yet succeeded in understanding them. So do you hear what he said? 
If you think you know the scriptures, but it doesn't result in love for God and for neighbor, in doing the scriptures, then you really don't understand them. You can fill your head with knowledge, but if it doesn't produce action, you really have no knowledge at all. So that was Augustine, pretty smart guy. Then Calvin. So maybe, you know, Augustine's too old, you know, you know, we've kind of moved beyond him. Well, Calvin. Calvin says this, knowledge is not entitled to be called true unless it produces such an effect on a believer as to lead them to conform themselves to Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? He's basically saying what Augustine said. If you have knowledge that doesn't make you more Christ-like, then it's not true knowledge. These brilliant, brilliant minds are saying that we can fill our heads with knowledge, with information, but the blessing comes not in knowing, it comes in doing. Blessed are you, excuse me, if you do them. They're simply saying what Jesus said. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We are called to serve. Not just to know where to serve, but to serve. And I have to tell you all, this isn't easy. This isn't easy. Just this past week, I was talking to one of my friends who's a pastor. He's in another part of the country, and we were talking, and he said, Penny, so how can I be praying for you? How can I be thinking for you? And I said, well, well, Michael, one way that you can pray for me is I find myself avoiding those relationships that have the potential to be hard, that have the potential to be difficult. Like, they're not actually difficult, and they're not actually hard. I just think they might be hard or difficult, and so I avoid them. And so, Michael, you can pray that I would pursue and I would serve, because I'm not prone to do that. Now y'all are sitting there thinking, man, Penny reached out to me this past week. Am I that hard? (laughs) No, it's not y'all, right? I said I avoided. No, I'm just kidding. Now it's like I didn't get the call. Uh No, 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 no. Don't think too much about it. The point is, the point is, is that it is easy to serve those who are easy to serve. Right? Our friends, the people who appreciate it, the people who might serve us back. It's easy to serve those who are easy to serve, but those who are hard to serve, the difficult people in our lives, the people that are hard to be around. And yet that's exactly what we're called to do. We're called to serve, not just when it's easy. I mean, think about Nowen, this brilliant man. I mean, Yancey asked him that question, why would you give up all that you had to move to this place? And Nowen said to him, I am not giving up anything to be here. He said, at first it was hard, the physical touch, affection, the messiness of caring for an uncoordinated person. It didn't come easily. But Nowen said, but I've learned to love Adam. To truly love him as my friend. And in the process, I've learned what it must be like for God to love us. I mean, think about the people that Jesus washed their feet. Think about who they were. Peter would deny him, and he washed his feet. Thomas would doubt him, and he washed his feet. Judas would betray him. 
And Jesus knew who was going to betray him. This one who was called of the devil, and yet he still got down on his knees and he washed his feet. And think about us. Because the truth is, y'all, none of us are easy to serve. Because the truth is, is that though Jesus, he, he washed the feet of a betrayer and he died, and he washed the feet of a, of a doubter, he also died on the cross for his enemies. And that's what we were, his enemies. Because of our sin, we were in rebellion against him, and yet what did he do? He did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. But he took on flesh the form of a servant, and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us, even us. Friends, that's why we're called to serve. We are called to take up our towel because Christ took up his towel in service to us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you have sent your son, our Lord Jesus, to serve even the likes of us. Let us always be mindful of that. Let us always be full of gratitude of the great act of service that you have performed for us. We would have never asked for it because we wouldn't have known, and yet you gave it anyway. You gave yourself, and so we thank you. And we praise you and ask that you would help us to always be mindful of this so that we would enter into those difficult places, those hard conversations, those strained relationships, and we would do so looking to serve as you have served us. Help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen.